What's up, co-conspirators? Welcome to the Good Trouble Podcast. Uh, I'm Reginald Williams, co-host, director of communications at Mass Budget, here with my esteemed co-host, Mr. Gregory Ball. Yes, I am here. I am here. And we have a very, very special guest um, with us today. This young lady is one of my favorite people in the city, always has positive energy. We we share musical tastes, and she is a an influencer in the in the most positive sense of the word. You know, when you hear influencer, you think Instagram and Fashion Nova, but this is not the case. This is a woman who is who's moving the needle in the city of Boston and making it a, a better place. Ladies and gentlemen, the esteemed Ooh. leader of Boston Wild Black, Sheena Collier. How are you doing today, Sheena? Thank you. That was an amazing, that's the best introduction I've ever had. Thank hey, you. listen, now I feel accomplished. I feel accomplished. <laughs> Thank you all for having me. Excited to chat with y'all. We're excited to talk to you, Sheena, because, you know, the, the title of this episode is Finding Your Tribe. And, you know, as a woman, a Black woman, as a serial entrepreneur, as a, as a super connector, you know, Finding Your Tribe, I can imagine, has taken you on uh, an, a long-spanning journey. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you find your tribe? Yes. Well, ooh, where do I even start with that? Um, well, I'll, say, I'll start here. It wasn't until I came to Boston um, in really Cambridge, because I came to Harvard 17 years ago, that I even realized I had to do any work to find a tribe. <laughs> because mm-hmm. before then, you know, I'm from Albany, New York. Um, if you asked me before I left Albany, I would tell you it was everybody was black, but that's definitely not the case. But that was, <laughs> that was my world, at least. And then I went to Spelman, um, where, I, where I definitely had to still find my tribe. Um, even though it was a historically black college, but it wasn't really something I thought about until I moved here because it was my first time um, being in the minority as far as black folks, at least. And so I was like, hmm, now I got to actually go get some friends and really find people that I can connect with. And it was a it was a shock to me. I just I never even thought about having to put in work to actually know people. And so you know, now, 17 years later, a lot of what I'm doing is um, from that experience. And I actually honestly wrote down one day, like, what did it take for me to be able to find my tribe? And then how can I help others to do that um, through events, through membership and information? So, you know, after having this experience and growing up in Albany and then going to, to Black People Mecca of Atlanta, <laughs> what made you come to to Boston? And then I know you left and came back. So what, so what was it about the city of Boston that kind of um, connected with you and and made you uh, stay and be a part of the be a part of the things? Yeah. First, I would say my mama. Um, she, you can't tell your mother you got into Harvard and then say, but I don't think I'm gonna go because there's no black people there. Right. But, okay. <laughs> That's not even going to work. I can can feel you know. Who cares? Like, you know, and I went to the School of Education where the programs are a school year. So essentially nine months. So she was like, don't tell me you can't go here for nine months and for the rest of your life say that you went to Harvard. Like, it's not that big of a deal. So that was initially, you know, who really pushed me. Um, I ended up Mm -hmm. staying 
at first because it was just the first place I got a job. And when I was looking for, um, you know, what I was going to do next out of school, the home full of the wanderers is the first place to offer me a job. And, and so in my mind, it was always temporary though. Like I'm in Boston until I can get back to Atlanta or go to New York, which is really want, where I wanted to be to New York city. I will say, and I still feel like this back then and now it's a great job market here. So that was really what kept me initially. I was young. I was only 22 when I graduated from Harvard. I was able to elevate really quickly in my career. You know, Boston's like a small major city. So once you get plugged in, once you get connected, once people know who you are, you know, you're, you're able to make moves. And so I was able to do that pretty quickly and in ways that I don't think I would have been able to do in one of those bigger cities. So um, that was a lot of it. And then I actually began to, to build a life here. I did move to go to DC, which I think is Boston if it was run by black people. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get into that in a second. Go ahead. Um, and I and I did love it, and I and I actually have family there, and you know, it was I felt a freedom that I didn't feel in Boston. Now this was like 2011, so you know, I went natural when I lived in D.C. Like all of these things, it was the first time I actually went out by myself because I felt confident that I could go to a bar or restaurant or, or party and people would come talk to me. You know, I, I felt like mm. um, I didn't need to be with anyone that I knew. And there wasn't this, you know, similar to Boston, it's a transient city. Um, and I, but I feel like more so here, people are like, are you from Boston? <laughs> you know, whereas there I didn't, I didn't feel that as much. I'm not saying it doesn't happen here, but I, I didn't feel it. So. So yeah, I went there. I loved it. I was there for two years, but my tribe was in Boston. Mm. And, you know, I had spent at that point seven years building up my community in Boston, personally and professionally. And when I went to, I went down there for a consulting job, but when I wanted to leave that job and go back to more community-based work, People were like, it's cool. You have the credentials. You went to Harvard, but you don't even know what that street is over there. Like, how can you come work in our community? And like, you don't know this community. And so I was having a really hard time finding a job. And I came back to work at Dudley Street neighborhood and it should be a Sinai. And, um, and it was like literally in the middle of this historic mayoral race. People always refer to the 2013 race. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, so that brought me back. Believe me, everybody was like, why are you coming? I mean, I had this big going away party when I left Boston. Like it was, mm-hmm. like, I, remember. <laughs> I made such a big deal out of it. And then two years later, she was, listen, you would have thought she was, it was a, like, it was a halfway coronation. It was, it was like something you see on Game of Thrones. It was, it was a party, right? Yeah. And I remember it was because it was a lead up to the party. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going like, you know, somebody just making an announcement maybe a couple of weeks out. It was a time leading up was a countdown. Wow. It was a month. Yeah. So. So, yeah. But I came back. Folks thought I was crazy. I thought I was crazy. Um, but once I came back after I've been back for some time, I'm like, you know what? If I'm going to be here, I have to make it what I want it to be. Mm. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting you say that that piece about D.C. feeling like Boston was run by Black people, because I always say that Boston is like America's hometown. Like, it, it's like everybody 
it is like a hometown in the sense that everybody knows somebody or we can it's almost like i can figure out who you're where you come from or what you're about by who you're connected to oh you went to that school you went to this high school you you know what i mean or who you hang around with on a regular basis because we we are always i think we're, we're that's how we break people down that's how our, and you know how we connect and start to understand people i should say break them down how we understand people by the circles that they move in so i think that i could very well see how that could be intimidating if you're coming from the outside very much so i don't think i don't think y'all get it enough i don't think y'all understand it enough how it feels for people coming here when people are, you know, critical of what's small black, mm-hmm. they'll say, said to me, why don't they just go to Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan? Like, there's plenty of black people. And I'm like, what are they going there to do? Like, what are they just taking an Uber into the middle of the neighborhood and being like, all right, like, where are the black folks at? <laughs> there's, there's, it'd be different if there was, like, destinations. Right. Places, mm-hmm. If there was a lounge to go to, if there was a, and so I, I, I get it in some ways, and I and I probably would be the same, particularly if I had hadn't left Albany. That it's kind of hard to conceptualize people literally not knowing anyone. Like people come here. I came here not knowing one person, and I I I don't I just don't think sometimes people can actually like wrap their head around that. Yeah, and and that's how you get to. That's how you build your circle. Is the person that some person that you may be friends with. If you have a connection to them, they introduce you around. And for a little while, you're like, oh, that's Greg's friend. And then you develop your own personality after that. But your first start off is who you're hanging with. Yeah. Sheena, you mentioned Boston Wild Black. Can you tell us a little bit about what Boston Wild Black is for our listeners who haven't experienced the magic that it is? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I'll start with the vision of Boston Wild Black is to... Uh, reimagine cities starting with Boston as places where Black people can thrive and doing that through making Black experiences, Black community and Black culture more prominent and abundant. Um, And particularly, you know, the the bad rap Boston has about being the most racist city. You know, I think it's definitely, it's, it's probably less so that, more so the lack of visibility of Black people in Black culture particularly if you're outside of Boston, it's just not really visible to you. So that's our overall vision. Um, Boston All Black's um, mission and the way that we're um, implementing it in Boston is this membership network for professional students, entrepreneurs, creatives, you know, really just Black folks who are seeking connection and community somehow, whether it's personally or professionally, and want to, you know, go beyond one-off events um, and have more of a community that they belong to. And so we do do events and we are event heavy, but it's more so about the community that we're building and the connections people have to each other. We just, we do these now weekly IG lives. We ha- I have a head of membership now and she interviewed one of our members last night who has been here a decade, but you know, she's like, this is her first time really getting really connected in the city. She's from the South and she lives in Brockton and um, said that she put my, we have a digital app and a platform through Boston Wild Black. Mm-hmm. So she put, she must have posted on there something about um, all her neighbors speaking Creole and she was feeling like she, you know, she's from the South. She's from like Mississippi. So mm-hmm. this is to her like completely different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
one of our members, so she posted about it. One of our members was like, I teach a Creole class actually. And she took this class and now, and she, she has a son. That's what it was about, that she would take her son to the barber and she couldn't communicate with the barber. She's showing him pictures and being and gesturing. Mm-hmm. Now she took this, you know, couple months class and she was like, now she was, she was on IG live speaking in Creole. I was like, okay. You know, and she was just saying like, I've been here a decade and I wouldn't have known where to seek this out. I wouldn't have known who to got connected to, mm-hmm. to, to be able to help with this. And so, you know, that's really what it's about. Like people really getting plugged into who and what they need to be able to navigate the city and, and go beyond just existing here and actually like feel a part of the community thrive have fun here um and access you know this the places and spaces that they want to i know she was the blue that barbara's brains <laughs> wide open when she started speaking to him because i know because you said she's from mississippi she came in there and he had no idea was about to <laughs> that's hilarious yeah yeah that's hilarious but that I know that you know it, the beautiful part about Boston Wild Black for me is that it is it is I feel like it is a, a the thought process around the the organization and the company is really um, treating the whole self like so you know I think many there's been other people who may do may have tried to do some of the things that you all do but they may just strictly focus on the professional and then there's some people who just strictly focus on the social where I feel like, you know, we're full human beings, you know what I mean? And there's all these different things that, that, that are going on in our lives. And with Boston Wild Black, I feel like you can get all of those experiences in one in one way or another. Was that a, was that a, a, a purposeful effort or a purposeful thing with you when you were consuming yeah. it? Or get connected to the people that do it. I mean, there are, mm-hmm. in our membership, the head of NSBE is in it, the head of Black MBA, the head of the National Panhellenic Council. Like it's, you know, there are other people that do things better than us that have been doing it longer, but it's mm-hmm. it's more of like, we're trying to be this hub of information. Like, how do I even get connected to those things? Boston Wild Black can't teach you Criollo, but you know, the person mm-hmm. in the city that teaches Criollo is a member of Boston Wild Black. And so, exactly. you know, this is a place for you to get connected to that. And yeah, it was very intentional. I actually, um, I used to call it becoming a Bostonian before I launched it. And mm-hmm. I wrote down one day, I, I, I was sitting in the car with one of my homegirls and I wrote down like, okay, how did I become a Bostonian in a sense? And so I was like, okay, I got a friend group. I got politically, cause I feel like you can't live in Boston and not be civically engaged in one way or another. That's just five Boston. Um, you know, I learned how to navigate, like physically navigate the neighborhoods and understand like kind of what, what the vibe of each neighborhood um, is and I so I wrote down these things which later became our tagline which is find your tribe grow your network navigate the city have fun so essentially mm-hmm. that came from I was like those are the things I needed to feel like I fully lived here and then so then how can I like codify those things and do it at scale for other people um, and for me the best way to do it was kind of in this group membership but it is very intentional people come in for very different reasons um, it's not, some of it is professional. Some of, a lot of our members are business owners and they want an audience. They want to be able to, you know, get black people, folks as their customers. Some people are just like, I just am looking for the brunch scene and other people to go to brunch with. Uh, and that's what I'm looking for. And so within our membership, we have these smaller clubs. 
that people can be in. So we have investing, um, we have a parent, like a parenting group. They take their kids apple picking together. Like there's so many different experiences people are having um, kind of within it. So we're really just providing this platform or this hub for people to then get further connected to the, to what they're really interested in. I love that, especially for you as a super connector, because I think a lot of the perception of Boston is that uh, you can come here, you can try and do something, and often you'll have to do it on your own. Uh, So for you to intentionally work to bring together the resources and the folks who are already doing things well and have those lived experiences to help elevate and make that hub really accessible for folks, especially in a whole global pandemic, is really crucial. I'm interested to learn a little bit more, Sheena, about how you and your members have uh, really transformed public space and digital space now really with the pandemic and hybrid events and zoom events how are y'all how are y'all keeping spirits up winter's approaching it's getting dark outside at 2 p.m how are you really keeping that energy alive uh in your events and in your uh, creative place making is it dark at 2 p.m it feels like it for me (laughs) (laughs) um so well so you know we launched last july and at the height of everything you know pandemic we still were i mean i think we still are somewhat here but we i know i was still dazed and confused like are we in an episode of black mirror or like is this really happening is this hands maze tale like <laughs> I, what I was, it felt like <laughs> very much it, it seems so far away now but i remember really being very dazed and confused but i still launched because people were asking for it um because i'd already announced it and then um you know, George Floyd had been murdered about six weeks before we launched or so, or maybe two months. And mm-hmm. so we were at the height of protests happening around the world. And um, initially what we really served as, we, we, we launched with 100 people, was like a safe space. Because people were showing up to Zoom work, which was new. Then you're showing up to Zoom work and people are either intentionally not saying anything about what's going on in the world for Black people, or they're treating you like, the only black person they know and they want, you know, I know for me, people were consoling me, white folks that just like, that I don't even have a relationship with. Um, sending me someone, people were sending me things like it was. <laughs> Either getting consoled or you were getting questioned. I, I got, that's what happened to me. Hey, like now all of a sudden that now, because this, this is the gateway for us to have this, all your racial questions come at the same time. (laughs) Right. And that's, and that's what was happening for a lot of people. So, and you're like stuck in the house, like, so all the things. So we're now able to provide this space for people. And we would actually do these wellness nights. We have a number of wellness practitioners in our membership and they would just be these nights to just come and let it out. Like what's going on at work? Um, how are you processing? Are you having deaths in your family? Like all of the things that were happening. And, um, you know, our founding 100 members became really tight because of we were all going through this, this experience together. You know, we're now at probably close to 600 people. And so, you know, it, it like anything else that grows, you know, there's always this like, you know, like when you go to your favorite chicken spot and they're the best place, but then when they become a franchise, it's like, you got to really pay attention to the quality. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where we're at now of, and, and it's still fairly small, but thinking about like, how do we still keep that sense of community and family, you know, as we grow, we'll be, you know, well over a thousand by the end of next year. And so, um, so that, that's a lot of what I'm paying attention to, but we've, 
we this platform that we have, this virtual platform, I'm not a tech person. I'm very much an in-person. I don't even really talk on the phone. You know, I think I'm just, I don't think you can. Well, all hustlers don't talk on the phone. We, we've come to realize this. <laughs> I they mean, say, I, do got, I do have two phones, so. And many hustlers have two phones. See? <laughs> you know what I'm but I just don't think you can really get, you couldn't get a sense of my personality through text and our phone because it's just, I'm, I'm distracted. I'm not really paying attention. It's why, you know, online dating don't really work for me. Like, you just can't really, I can't engage. I'm in person. I love in-person events. So mm-hmm. to have to plan something, plan a whole, build a community virtually, it just, the time's just called for it. And I came across this platform, Mighty Networks, which is customizable. It's built, it's literally built for this type of community. I, I don't even remember how I found it. And, um, and that's how we've been able to stay connected. So people have that app on their phone or they get it on the computer and we run everything through there. The events, you sign up there, we have calendars, people can DM each other, group chat each other through it. Like it, it provides a lot of those, a lot of that. Um, last summer, people, members were like, so when we going outside? And this was summer uh, 2020. And I was like, no, <laughs> Boston Wall Black will be hosting any in-person events. Um, you're welcome to meet up with each other, but um, we won't be taking on that liability. <laughs> of, <laughs> doing super smart, smart person. That's doing smart super events. You know, now, you know, 20, summer 2021 was the first time I felt comfortable doing that. And we had um, this event on Lawn on D, you know, which was 5,000 people. And, you know, I has, had some anxiety about it, but people, it, I felt like, you know, now a year later, I have enough information and we understand what's going on enough to be able to keep people safe. And so we were, were able to bring people together in that way. But it's, it's been really dope. People actually have like gotten jobs, consulting gigs. They've made friends. Um, they've explored neighborhoods they've never been to, you know, through connecting through this space. Yeah, listen, the, so the film reunion was, a, as as the old old heads say, a stone groove. It was a good time. Man, I had so much fun out there. And I was, you know how you, you know how you get to a party and the party is good? You start sending messages to people like, yo, man, I don't know what you're doing, but you might want to stop that and come here. <laughs> so I have a question for you, because you... Yes done many things in the city yes been to you know i'm sure thousands of things what do you mm-hmm. feel like what what made it feel good well I, I think there was a couple of things and one i actually do believe that because we had all been in the house for so long that you know we could have got out there and had and, and just you know had a bonfire where we were just making hot dogs we'd have been happy so but when you combine the fact that it was just as positive energy there was plenty of things to do. It was a friendly environment. It was it was set up as a friendly environment. Hey, bring your kids and people. Could, and if you didn't have kids, you could come out and still have a good time. It was a it was kind of that perfect mix of all the things that were that we would want to have in it um, at an event. Then there's great music. Like it was. Listen, so Reggie, let me tell you, I'm getting ready to leave. Right, I'm leaving about an hour before it's over, and. For whatever reason, carnival broke out inside under the tent. Like, I mean, so on the lawn on D. Yes. I mean, when I tell you, 
that they were having a party <laughs> under this tent. <laughs> they were going, listen, everybody, people was waving their flags. I'm like, who knew to bring their flag with them? Well, I was just about to say that. That's the same thing I was thinking. Like, where are people pulling flags from? <laughs> <laughs> you keep a spare flag in your back pocket? This is just how you roll in the city? <laughs> But people were having a time of their life, and I was just—I was on my way leaving. And I, I, the re, one of the main reasons I remember that day is because it was the day that I got my truck. So I'm already in a good mood. I'm, <laughs> I got, I'm driving, having a grand old time. We get down there, the music's good, food's good. I mean, and it was one of those situations where, I, and I, it was funny—you could tell that they underestimated you because. The line to get your food was real long. And the only reason it was long is because it was so many people out there. You said 5,000. I honestly haven't gone to concerts and been outside at festivals and stuff. I would probably say just from the time, I, I probably say it feels more like seven. I think it was too. They did tell us later that they didn't count both entrances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. So, so I, was, I would say it was probably more towards seven because, and then just the positive energy afterwards, you know, people had just like going forth saying, oh my God, like, you know, people who didn't go, trust me, I made a whole bunch of people feel so like, dog, I'm like, I'm, 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 I'm sending messages, I'm showing video, like, do you see what you, Greg was selfies. Yes, I'm like, what are you doing that, you're not here? The reason I asked you that is because that's, that's like the, if I could boil down like what we're trying to create in a city, mm -hmm. that feeling of, one, you had people from very different walks of life in the same space. Absolutely. It was intergenerational. It kind of went like a for real family reunion where earlier in the day, you have the kid-friendly stuff. We had dance lessons, mm -hmm. seniors were out there. Then it's starting to get dark, carnival breaks out. And you know, you know, all the young, you know, when the young cousins come out and they're like, okay, now this is- As they come back from their walk, yeah. it's our time. <laughs> <laughs> like this is our time for, you know, to party and, um. Yeah, and I felt I felt so good. I felt I I felt very responsible in a good in a negative and positive way. Meaning leading up to it, I was like, I'm responsible for thousands of people. I actually almost canceled it the week before because I started mm. to get nervous about like I um, mean, not a comparison, but like you see like Astro World, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm responsible for all these people. And people were stressing about it being in South Boston. Yeah really nervous about it. So I wasn't concerned about our guests, but I was concerned about people's experience in that part of town. And what was that gonna feel like for thousands of black people to descend on Lawn on D? So you got people that are probably parking all over the neighborhood, so they gotta walk there. Like, so I started having these meetings with the, I met with the head of public safety multiple times and you know they walked me through the plans. It was also the same week, I can't remember what town it was where someone had just killed, it was a, um, maybe like an army vet, mm. two black army vet. So I just was on high alert. And, but, but then I said, why are you stressing out? It's not that you don't want this to go bad. Boston don't want this to go bad. Like this would actually be very bad for Boston given right. all the things. So then that's when I started making different calls, the head of the chamber, the mayor's office, mm -hmm. police department, I was like, None of us want this to go bad. <laughs> so, you know, we need to work together because I'm going to bring thousands of black people. And they did underestimate. Even the day before I said, hey, I'm hearing the word on the street. Like it's gonna be a lot of people, but they still didn't fully conceptualize it. 
So, so it's interesting. What what was some of the feedback that you got at before and after the well after the event after it went off and it went off well and like you said the people who underestimated were they like oh wow we weren't expecting that and were, what was the what was the reaction? Well, one we already have the date for next year. Like they were like, so this is going to become an annual thing, right? We might you know after this year we honestly might outgrow that space. The capacity is only four thousand at a time. So, but that was, I mean, you have. Anytime you bring together a thousand people, I don't care who they are, there's going to be something to happen. Someone stepped on someone's toe, someone spilled food. There was no incident reports that day. They were like, it was their first time having no incident reports. Um, they had every single mayoral candidate came by. And, and these are the things that matter to the convention center, right? Like that number of officials coming by an event, um, and then they had an audience that, you know, I'm sure people have gone back since, you know, because they had this mm -hmm. experience. And then it wasn't a closed event, so it was open to a, the public. So the white folks had just come to Lone on D regularly were there. And one of the staff told me that some of their, like, regulars was like, this music is way better than what you all usually have. <laughs> you know? so then I said, yes, hire these bands, hire these DJs. Like, they don't have to just be here because it's a Boston White Black event. Like, you should be contracting with them. So it was positive all around. They were, they were, you know, very happy and, you know, felt like, um, you know, they had accomplished something. Um, but I think that would it, for me, it's just a proof point of like, look what happens when we get access to space. It's just all, that's all we want. Like, we just want access to these spaces. Like, no one's coming here that crazy. No one's like, we just want, we're, we're a joyful people. Like, regardless of all that happens and goes on with mm -hmm. us, we're joyful communal folks and we want to be able to be in community. And, you know, someone, the last thing I'll say, someone came up to me that day and was like, Sheena, there's dudes I know in here from the projects who are playing cornhole. And they were like, good job. Damn. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So I'm walking around the place and I'm like, yo, I swore he was going for 10. I, I was like, what is he doing? And he is over here having the time of his life. He has his plate, on, like, the, on the swings. That's like, like I'm sitting there. Wow. Listen, so, so that's one of the reasons why I, I love the event so much. And I was so happy for you because I was like, okay, she was able to really bring this vision that because you have been talking about it. And I, I fully understood right from the beginning. I was like, oh, this is going to be this is going to be exactly what we need. And I knew where you were going with it. And I felt like everything that you had communicated to me and then what you were just communicating from about Boston Wild Black in general happened that day. Everything that's great about the concept, everything that's great about the everything, everything that's wonderful about it happened. Yeah. And I was just so happy for you to see it happen. It happened in one event. That's true. Yeah. Yes. And it was, And then we, in the, you know, if you've been to Lawn on D, you know, there's this separate area in the back that's a separate pavilion. And so we did a members only reception back there and there were people on the fence. I, I came out to the um, main part and they were like, how do we get back there? And I was like, well, you know, this is for folks who are members, you know, they've they've invested in this experience and in this growing company. And, you know, so we want to give them a little extra chicken. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was dope. It was really dope. So I, I have a question for you. So we talk about we've we talked about you bringing thousands of people together. Um, when did this ability 
to to gather folks start for you? Was this a, were you were you the one throwing the cup parties at school when you were in high school? Like what what where did this start for? <laughs> where where did this start for you? Was this something early on, or was this something you developed later? So I think me personally doing it, it developed later, like when I got here. But it's actually. I grew up in, you know how in the neighborhood there's like that house that is the mm-hmm. house that everyone goes to. My father was very much like that. Like my father was a convener and I didn't, you know, you think your parents are whack. Like I didn't really think about it till I got older of mm-hmm. how much I am doing, continuing what he was doing. You know, he, so I'm, I'm, excuse me, a lot younger than my siblings. I have seven older siblings. So my parents are a lot older. So my brother, my father was at the March on Washington. You know, he organized with A. Philip Randolph and wow. like very much an organizer. Union, he was the head of the, he worked, both of my parents worked for New York State. And he was the head of like the Black Union, um, Employees Union, the head mm-hmm. of our CDC, like et cetera, et cetera. He did a lot. Um, he would organize talent shows for Black people in the city. So he was all about all things black people and a lot of it on the surface, similar to I think my stuff, looks like parties, like looks like fun. But he really mm-hmm. was doing deep like organizing work, but through convening people. So we would have we did the first cookout of the summer at our house and the last cookout of the summer at our house. And um it really was like everybody was there. My father cooked, so you could always come by and get a plate. Mm-hmm. And so that's really where it comes from. Like, that's just naturally to me, I love being in community like that. I love being around people and just having people around, um, whether it's a formal event or just just hanging out. Like, that's just my, I think, natural, um, I just gravitate to that. But I didn't really feel the need to do it myself until I came here. I think I always had big groups of friends and, but I don't, I, I, I really don't think I was the planner until I got older. And um, it was it felt like more of a need, like, oh, OK, no one's doing this, you know, at Harvard for me. So now I have to be the one to do it. So but it's very much comes from, you know, the way that I grew up. Was there anybody in, in Boston or in the landscape as, when, when you when you started thinking of Boston Wild Black? Were there examples or was it was it just kind of jumped into it or was there people who had like pieces of the formula that kind of inspired you? Yeah. So when I, so I came here, I graduated in 05. And so the things going on around that time, first Fridays, 30 plus, mm-hmm. I was 23, but I was there. Um, I became the president of my Spellman chapter. So we would do a lot of events around the city, more house speed dating, things like that. Um, and then I joined Young Black Women's Society at the time. So there were these things. Jeff and Kareem were doing parties. Like there was a lot of things at that time that were that helps me to actually get connected, um, get connected, started <laughs> um, probably like a couple years after I got here. So I would go to those um, those convenings as well. And but then it, it's like they tapered off. So a lot of things mm-hmm. had tapered off you know, around that like mid two thousands time. Um, or was starting to, it just was like a new wave, you know, I think of folks uh, were coming in. And so when I actually went to start Boston All Black, I definitely took elements of the things that I had been to over the years. And I took a lot from DC. Like, so my experience in DC is where I hope Boston gets to, where 
things don't have to be event-based. It's just, it's Tuesday. You want to hear an R&B band, you just go. <laughs> you know, you know that it's happening at X venue. Though I, though I did hear recently about gentrification of U Street. Somebody told me the other day, there's like no black people left on U Street. Um, Unfortunate. Right. Um, but that's where I took a lot of the inspiration from Off Small Black. Like I felt like it was this mix of how can we just have things that are ongoing? They're not an annual thing or not something people are waiting for, but it's just more of a vibe all the time. And how can we have these unique experiences? So you see even leading up to Boss Small Black, doing stuff at the MFA, you know, doing the Black Panther opening, you know, those with Fair and Ponte, like bringing people into spaces you, you've never swag surf in the MFA before. Like you don't even think about the MFA in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's right. like, how can we, how can we give people experiences in these spaces that were built for something else? Um, in between that, I also did this um, showing of boys in the hood at the MFA and brought Boris Chestnut. You know, it was a, when um, John Singleton had passed. Like I'm just really into taking spaces that were designed for something. Like they didn't, they didn't um, build the MFA in my, with showing boys in the hood in mind. Like that wasn't anywhere on anyone's like. Certainly not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely. So, so that that type of stuff excites me, and it was just like, how can I take these mix of experiences and like package them almost, and and be able to make it something that people can count on, you know, and that they feel like they're getting an experience that they wouldn't get somewhere else. Um, but definitely. You know, all the things I've been to in Boston over my almost 20 years here, uh, it's been inspired that when um, Killer Boombox used to do the DJ nights at Laugh, um, mm-hmm. what is it called? Laugh Boston. Laugh Boston. Like, I right love- around the corner from where, where the um, where, where the family reunion was from. Yeah, like, I love those type of experiences. Um, and I just want to see them be more regular. Like, I want it to be something that's consistent, you know, that people are like, and they associate Boston with it. Now, Sheena, you touched a little bit on the economic opportunity needed to really invest in the DJs and in the vendors and then the artists that you brought out to the lawn on D and also how elected officials and our politicians play a key role in being visible and showing uh, these you know, these uh, spaces and these establishments that we can be here and spend our dollars here, but you also have to make the spaces available to us. Uh, what are your hopes with the new uh, mayoral administration in the city of Boston? And then also looking at the 2022 midterms for the gubernatorial candidate race. Yeah. So, you know, we did this, Boston Black did a, a mayoral forum a couple of days before the election with, with both of the candidates and, you know, all, all questions around, you know, how are you going to create black cultural districts and how can we, how can it be a less onerous process to do a festival? And, you know, what do we, ha- what is the role of a city in addressing the brand problem? There's a real brand problem with Boston, very much fueled by reality. Um, you know, how, what, are, what are you going to do you know, to change that? Uh, now that Mayor Wu is in, you know, I'm really hoping for, I think that what she ran on was, bold change and i'm hoping you know she didn't speak specifically to a lot of the stuff that we are she did that night but just in general in her campaign um running on you know the things she ran on were not specifically the things that i'm talking about but i'm hoping in the same kind of vein of um understanding that systems need to be dismantled 
you know, that people need access um, in leadership roles, you know, people that actually know what's needed um, and that are part of the communities that we say we're trying to serve, that we're able to work with her to open up the city more. And, you know, maybe because she's a little younger, she'll understand that having fun in a city, having a vibrant social cultural life is not like a, it's not just like an over here thing. You know, it's not this- It's not luxury. Yeah, it's not an auxiliary part of your life. Like I'm watching what um, Darren Howe was doing with K's, right? And trying to like mm-hmm. revamp it and read, because people need space. Like it's not a, it's not a, and, and, and I think for some folks, they don't, they, they are so used to having access to it that they don't even realize it's a thing for them. Like you have that social club you go to, you have that coffee shop you stop by, you know, you have, you can go to the UMass club or whatever other spaces that y'all have carved out for yourselves. Like black people need that too. And it's not simply about having fun or drinking or dancing, but those things are important. Those are the things that make fully make a city. When I, lived in dc there was a site called dchappyhours.com and when you got off of work every day you can look at like okay where the specials at today that's where everybody's going to be at you know and um you know those things i've actually struggled with it a little with my for myself because you know my background is education community organizing worked you know in dsni but boston public schools and all those places for years and I would worry at times that the stuff that I'm doing now is seen as like just socialite type life, right? Like, like I'm just trying to be a socialite. And, but it's, it really is fueled by, I, I really, really believe that we joy, happiness, fun, thriving, all of that has to be, is just as important, you know, as the other things that we're working on. Obviously you have to address survival level stuff first before you can even operate in that space. But if you look at the the centuries black people have been in survival mode, we still find ways to have fun. Like it's our outlet. That's how you survive. I mean, black Twitter, the memes we make, <laughs> we're just unmatched <laughs> for our ability to even in struggle to like make jokes out of stuff. And is that that communal we do it online with Twitter. Like we need to be in community with each other. It's it's literally just part of who we are. Yeah. And if we we can't live in a place that doesn't support that and doesn't you know allow us to have the spaces for that. And so, I through Boston Black, we also partner with a lot of companies. Hopefully, the city and state. That's what I'm saying to them. Like you all might just see this as partying, or but you're. you're you can't get the talent you want. They're gonna go to Atlanta. They're gonna go these other places, whether they're from here or not, if they don't feel like they can also have that. You wanna attract millennials. You know what millennials want? Partners, kids, you know, brunches. <laughs> yeah, affordable places to buy houses. So it's not disconnected from your, your recruitment strategy. Your recruitment strategy includes people being able to find out where happy hours at. Like it just, it's, it's related. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think that that is what I'm hoping, you know, from Mayor Wu and her administration. We got Shagun in there now. Hey, that's one of, one of our past guests. Yeah, he, under, he, under, he definitely understands the assignment. And then, yeah, as we're looking to um, now the governor, you know, in Senate races, um, continuing those type of conversations, especially because that's where a lot of this stuff is legislative, like happy hour being illegal is a state law. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. 
address those things. Well, I was going to talk to Sheena about her her aspirations as a, a rapper and her, her like, she, listen, Sheena she no, no, she doesn't. But in her mind, <laughs> in her mind, she is Benny from from Griselda. Like she's like she is completely th- like she is Jadakiss in her brain. That's like, true. This, this is for real. That's true. Greg, 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 Greg came to the family reunion and gave me two flash drives full of hardcore gangster music. Wow. Um, that is that's who I my th- homie. I had to take care of her. Yeah, that's why I, I gave her th- like every DJ Clue mixtape from from the nineties to early two thousands, all yeah. the all in locks, all that. So I mean I grew up in Albany and that doesn't necessarily mean anything to everyone if you've never been there, but I went to Spelman and Harvard and I, you know, I worked at the chamber and I could move through very professional spaces and, you know, obviously um, know how to, uh, you know, I'm building a business, but at the core, you know, I'm from Albany and Albany is a, at least the places where I, spaces I was in, um, was a rough space. Um, and I have, I mentioned I have seven older siblings. So particularly my older brother, I have three older brothers, but one of them who, you know, may have thought he was Nino Brown in the nineties, eighties and nineties, um, he had me listening to Cool G rap. I mean, he just, I don't know if he was like hazing me, but I definitely was he like- He wanted a little brother and they, they gave him you. So he's like, all right, come on. <laughs> he, I, I, was like, this. <laughs> I was like four or five years old, like Mob Deep and Cool G rap and maybe maybe not Mob Deep yet, but Cool G rap. And I just developed this love for it. Even my mother a little, like my mother, um, to her credit, she, would listen to what her kids are listening to. Like she wanted to be aware. And so mm. she put me on, she bought me like it was written, you know, like she she would stay aware of kind of what was going on. And I just, I think I it's cause I love beats. Like I, I'm, um, when I moved to DC, I actually took drum lessons and I need to pick them back up. Like I just love the beat of a song. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, most people, people if they really know me know that I'm a rap connoisseur. When I was in when I was in Spellman, when I first got to Spellman, I would act like I could freestyle. I would like literally like get people around me. And you know how people start out like, yo, yo. <laughs> yeah, Market Friday is like, oh, <laughs> oh God. And I would do that. And then I'd be like, nah, I ain't gonna do it. And I would walk away. Um, <laughs> you got everybody all hyped up. There's like, oh, you're about to go in. Oh, if he dropping in two weeks, you know. <laughs> Nah, you're already ready for that. I was super, super, super skinny back then. And so, like, my nickname was Big Sheen. I had shirts at Hornet. Like, I really... I told you, Sheen. I, I Big really, Sheen, that is your new name. I was, I was still I was still of the hood when I got to spell it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I love... I love it. And I, and I think that what I particularly love that I get to do now, because... So my business is called Boston All Black, right? So... If you're a corporation or something, meeting with me or whomever, you are, you already know what it is. Like, there's a baseline conversation we don't even need to have because <laughs> you know <laughs> who I'm for and right. you know what we're about. And so I'm able to sprinkle our poor um, Black culture into even the conversations. I mean, I really do talk to companies about um, places for... I, I can definitely remember talking to this bank and we were, were talking about swag surfing. And mm. um, because it also 
what I'm doing touches the heart of pe- the black people in these companies. Mm-hmm. And they're like, if I could bring you in, I mean, most of my corporate relationships have come through a black person that worked there because they see it, they, they are with it, they get it. And they don't have that freedom internally, but they're like, you can come in, you can, you can say different stuff than we can say, because you, you know, again, you're called Boston all black people. are mm-hmm. And so being able to, we did our, we did a virtual annual meeting in June. We had DJ Mott and this is our corporate partners are at this DJ Mott. Every speaker had an intro song, you know, all the way up. And um, that's just the vibe that we're creating. We're, what I most love about this is being able to, we already know black culture runs the world, but it's like, and white folks know it too, but it also gets sidelined. Like, it's like, we all know that we run the world, but we, we're the main influencers, but also we get made to feel like the things we want are like our ghetto or, you know, all the words that folks use mm-hmm. to marginalize us. Yeah. So, what I feel like I'm being able to do is, I must say, I just can't think of a better way to say this. I don't totally mean it like this, but like make our stuff mainstream. Like, no, this isn't a um, black meeting. This is just a meeting and we have a DJ and we have DJs during our meetings. We had a DJ at the mayoral forum sure. because music is important to us. We and that's the same okay. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. Like it's not a novelty. It's just who we are. And so, yeah, so that that is like my favorite part of this of, I feel like I have the freedom to do it because of the company I'm building to make sure that black culture shows up. I do the same with my staff. We start our staff meetings. The first thing you got to answer is what are black people talking about this week? Mm. Everyone has to go around and, and whether you looked at the shade room or whether you looked at CNN or whatever it is. And it just, it just, it's a blessing. (laughs) It feels good to be able to, to where now I go to the seaport and I'm like, damn, Boston is white. Like, that, that's so much not my world. I've curated a very black world. <laughs> and so when I step out of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot it was like. That. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a blessing to be able to build a company to do that. And talking to you today has been a blessing as well. Sheena, thank you so much for joining us. You are the greatest. This is my my freestyle partner. Like, I'm definitely going to get her to rap one day. I'm just, this is on my list of things. If Trap Karaoke comes back, I'll definitely, or we could just create our own. Because I definitely, that's my dream is to listen. listen. I mean, listen. I'm going to work I, this I'm out. Afraid, I'm afraid Little Kim Hardcore 25th anniversary is the other day. I did a whole show in my car. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, when I, it was funny because when we watched that versus with the locks in Dipset, I knew somewhere Sheeta was bouncing off the walls. Where Jada spit these freestyles, I know she knew was turned yeah. up there. I've so, watched it already. <laughs> Need to see the Sheena in person. <laughs> that's the Sheena I know. That's a, that's the Sheena I love so much. <laughs> that goes and and is that multi-dimensional person that is doing such incredible, incredible work. We appreciate you, Sheena, and yeah. thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. That is it for this episode of what's the show called, Reggie? A Good Trouble Podcast. Yes. Curated conversations. Yes, we will talk to you again very, very soon. And hopefully we will start off the next episode with like 16 bars from Sheena. Yeah, I'm recording and send it to y'all. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks, Sheena. Thank you.